Open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. And we will seek to hear the Lord's word to us from these verses. The title of the message this morning is Why Jesus' Return Matters Today. So far in 2 Peter chapter 1, if you've been with us, Peter has focused primarily on the theme of godliness. He's reminding believers about the importance of godliness. Peter's calling us to pursue a godly life. And in the verses we're going to look at this morning, Peter will connect his discussion of godliness to the topic of the second coming or the return of Jesus. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. For we did not make known to you the power coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, following cleverly devised myths, but being eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have as more sure the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes by one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the will of man, but men being moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Let's pause for prayer. We look to you, our God and Father, asking you to open up these verses for us that we might understand them. By your Spirit, God, enable me to speak with clarity. Enable me to speak with passion and power that is fitting the Word of God. God, grant each of us ears to hear recognizing that the message we hear is indeed the very voice of God. And I pray, Father, that you would use the truth of this passage to make us more like our Savior, to increase your own glory and our own good. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. I wonder what you might do if you were convinced you could get away with it. I did a little research this week on, on the internet, seeing what people's answers to that question were. What might you do if you knew you could get away with it? The answers probably won't surprise you. You'd be amazed how many people said they would kill politicians, go to Congress and you know, wipe them all out or 
I mean, you know, it's the things you'd think people would steal if they knew they could get away with it. They would have an affair. If they knew they could get away with it, they would kill if they knew they could get away with it. Well, it shouldn't really surprise us, should it? People do these things even when they don't know they can get away with it. I imagine how much people would do these kind of things if they thought they could get away with it. People will do all sorts of evil if they don't think they'll have to answer for it. And if you think about it, that helps to explain why some people live the way they do. It's the reason so many people live ungodly lives. They think they'll get away with it. They don't think they're going to have to answer for the way they've lived their lives. But the ungodly will have to answer for the way they've lived. They will have to answer for their ungodliness. You see, Jesus is coming again as king. And the word of God teaches us that when he comes, he's going to judge the living and the dead. So why do people continue to live ungodly lives? Very simple. They don't believe Jesus is coming again. They don't believe they're going to have to stand before him and face him and give an account for their lives. The title of the message today is Why Jesus Returns Matters for Today. If it's sometime in the future, why is it so important for today to think about his return. Here's the reason why. Because if you're not absolutely convinced that Jesus is going to return and you're going to have to face him, you won't be as likely to live a godly life. You follow me? If you are ever mindful that Jesus is coming and you're going to have to face him, you're far more likely to walk in a godly manner. Let me say it like this. If you genuinely believe Jesus could return tomorrow, you're far more likely to live godly today. Does that make sense? That's why it's critical for you and I to be absolutely convinced that our Lord's coming again and not to lose sight of it. One of the primary issues Peter's readers were facing is false teachers. They were living ungodly lives, and not only were they living ungodly lives, they were promoting ungodly lives. And here's the thing. They rejected the teaching that Jesus was going to come again. And so, they said, we can live ungodly lives because we're not going to have to answer for it. Jesus is not coming back. He's not going to judge the living and the dead. So we can live any way we want to. But Peter wants his readers to know with no uncertainty that godliness does matter because Jesus is coming again. And we are going to have to answer to him. And here's the thing. If you're ungodly, you'll be unprepared. When the Lord comes again, if you are ungodly, 
you will be unprepared. Here's the message that the Word of God is teaching us today. Live in light of what Scripture says about Jesus' return because His return is certain. I could say it a simpler way. Live like Jesus is coming again because He is. Peter communicates this message by telling us three things in these verses. He begins in verse 16 through 18 by telling us this. What Scripture says about Jesus' return is certain. What Scripture says about Jesus' return is certain. The first thing we see Peter saying is, For we did not make known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ following cleverly devised myths. I want you to notice the beginning of verse 16, the word for. You could translate it because. He's following from the conversation he's just had. Remember the last thing we studied is how Peter said, I'm going to keep reminding you to pursue godliness until my breath is gone and I'm writing you this letter so you can be reminded of the importance of godliness even after I'm gone. And now he's going to explain to us why he feels it's so critical to remind them of godliness. Because, verse 16, for Jesus is coming back. And what he says in these verses is that the apostles' teaching that Jesus is going to come in power is not based on some made-up stories. You see what it says? We did not make known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ following cleverly devised myths. What is the power and coming of Jesus? It refers to His coming in power. Okay? It's picturing Jesus coming again in His glory, in power. Let me give you a verse. Mark 13, 26. They will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. So what Peter's saying is, we taught you that Jesus is coming again in power. Right? He said, we didn't teach you that following cleverly devised myths. Myths are fantasies. They are made up stories that have absolutely no basis in reality. And what he's saying is, the Son of God is going to come in a glorious display of divine power and authority. And we taught you that, and we weren't making this stuff up. The teaching we brought you was not based on some made-up stories that have been passed down through the ages. It's not some fairy tale. Look what he says. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Well, we didn't teach you about the coming of Jesus based on some fairy tale. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. His majesty refers to His divine glory. It means His divine nature being revealed. What's He talking about? He's referring to the transfiguration. Matthew 17. You remember in Matthew 17, Peter, James, and John were with Jesus on the mountain, 
and he was transfigured before them. That's what Peter's talking about when he gets to verse 17. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father. Let's stop right there. What is this talking about? He received honor and glory from God the Father. The honor that Jesus received at the transfiguration is referring to what God spoke about him. You remember what God the Father spoke in an audible voice? The disciples heard it. You remember? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Peter records those words here at the end of verse 17. And his glory, mentioned at the beginning of verse 17, refers to the shining of his face and clothes. He was transfigured. His clothing and his skin turned brilliant as bright as the sun. His true divine nature was shining through. The reality of who Jesus was on the inside was able to show forth on the outside. So Jesus received honor and glory when he was transfigured. Now here's the question. What does the transfiguration have to do with Jesus coming again? Peter says, we didn't teach you about Jesus coming again based on a myth or a fairy tale. We were eyewitnesses of the majesty of the king. And he tells us in verse 17, he's talking about the transfiguration. But what does one have to do with the other? What does a transfiguration have to do with the second coming? Well, the transfiguration is recorded in three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's in Matthew 17, Luke 9, and Mark 9. And in all three cases, the same verse immediately precedes the transfiguration. And it's this verse. In Matthew, it's Matthew 16, 28. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Now, every time that verse appears in the Gospels, the very next thing that happens is the transfiguration. Jesus said, some of you won't die before you see the Son of Man in the glory of His kingdom. Those some of you were Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration as Jesus is glorified. What's going on? I want you to understand this. What Peter's telling us is what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration was to give the apostles a glimpse of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes. You understand? The glory with which he is going to appear at his second coming is the glory that was revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration. Are you following me? That's what Peter's saying. We saw his divine glory. This same glory that's going to appear when he comes again. Here's what I want you to see. The apostles were using prophecies of the Old Testament to teach that Jesus is going to come again. And they were using the transfiguration as confirmation that those prophecies 
are pointing to the return of Jesus. We saw his divine glory. We know this is the king God is talking about coming again. And we know it because we saw it. Now, notice what it says at verse 19. We have as more sure the prophetic word. Okay. For the Jew, all scripture is considered prophecy. But the prophetic word he's talking about here is specifically all of the prophecies regarding what was called the day of the Lord. That's the terminology used in the Old Testament. Now, the day of the Lord refers to a time when God intervenes in history for the salvation of his people and the destruction of the wicked. And in the Old Testament, there are several day of the Lord predictions that a glorious final day of the Lord will come when God will permanently destroy the wicked and he will permanently deliver salvation and glory for his people. The day of the Lord. And what the apostles were telling the Christians is those prophecies about this final day of the Lord are describing the second coming of Jesus. And what he's telling us is the transfiguration that we saw with our eyes makes that interpretation even more sure. You see the word in verse 19? We have the prophetic word made more certain, made more sure. He says, look, there's no real doubt to begin with that these prophecies were talking about the coming of Jesus. But after seeing the transfiguration, that erases any question, any doubt. You with me? Now we know that when God talks about the day of the Lord, the final day when the wicked will be destroyed and the kingdom's going to come, we know now he's talking about Jesus coming in his divine glory. Think about this. Imagine you get a letter from a friend. You're reading this letter, and in the letter he references a, a, someone who is a mutual friend, and he just calls him Jim. You know, I ran into Jim today. He doesn't give a last name, and you're thinking to yourself, he probably means Jim Taylor, but you don't know for sure. Well, the next time you run into your friend, you ask him, hey, I got your letter, and in the letter you mentioned Jim. Were you talking about Jim Taylor? And he says, yeah, that's, that's what I was talking about. Well, what's just happened? Your interpretation of his letter has been confirmed. This is what's happening. This is what Peter's saying. What happened at the transfiguration, God was saying, yes. Those prophecies of the day of the Lord, yes, those are about Jesus. He's confirming that's the way they should be interpreted. Are you understanding what I'm telling you? God is confirming to the apostles, yes, the coming the Old Testament talks about, this is him. This is the one. And what he's telling us is, Peter's saying, look, we have the testimony of the scripture we have God's confirmation of it and what all that means is what the scripture says about Jesus return you can be absolutely certain you with me you can be certain that he will come in a glorious display of sovereign power and authority. You can be certain that he will judge the living and the dead. You can be certain that he will 
eliminate all ungodliness and wickedness in creation, you can be certain that he will gather all the redeemed to live with him forever in glory. And you can be certain that he will reign uncontested, unopposed for eternity as the King of Kings. What scripture says about Jesus' return is certain. Now that Peter has confirmed that, he goes on to tell us this. What Scripture says about Jesus' return should be heeded. We see this in verse 19. Peter says, We have as more certain the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention. This is what Peter's telling us, paying attention to the prophecies that teach Jesus is going to return is the right thing for believers to do. You see what it says? You do well to pay attention. That means you're doing what you ought to do. You're doing right by paying attention to what the prophecies about Jesus' return have to say. The word pay attention means to heed or to take seriously. And obviously what we're to heed, what we're to take seriously is the prophetic word. All the prophecies and all that the scripture says about the return of Jesus. So what does it mean to heed those prophecies? What does it mean to pay attention to those prophecies? Look what he says. Pay attention to those as a lamp shining in a dark place. Let me give you a verse you're all familiar with, Psalm 119, 105. You remember what that says? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When he says, pay attention to these prophecies of Jesus' return like a lamp in a dark place, what does he mean? He means look to the light these prophecies give so you know how to navigate this dark world. We live in a sinful evil world, a world that's filled with the darkness of sin and Satan. And he says, you need the light that these prophecies give to, so you can walk rightly in this world. They're to be a lamp. They're to enable you to make your way as God's children in this world. In other words, they're intended to help you live rightly in this world. How long are we going to need this light? Look at verse 19. We have as more sure the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. Look at this. Until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. The morning star actually refers to the planet Venus. If you didn't know this, the planet Venus appears just before the sunrise. You don't always see it, but it does. And what Peter's picturing here, he's picturing the coming of Jesus like the dawn, the sun rising to bring its light to the world. When Christ returns, we will no longer need the light of these prophecies. Why? Because it says his light will arise in your hearts. 
That means all of the doubt, all of the confusion, all of the uncertainty, all that we don't know now, all that will be removed. You with me? We'll see all things clearly. His, his light will remove the darkness that remains within us, the confusion and doubt and uncertainty. And not only that, His light will remove the darkness and sin and evil in creation. So you see, when Jesus returns, we'll no longer need the light of these prophecies to guide us in this dark world because there won't be a dark world. All will be illuminated. The truth will finally be known in our hearts and revealed in this world. Are you following what I'm telling you? When he comes again, we won't need the guides. But until he comes again, we need the light of the scripture. We need to obey these prophecies. We need to consider what they teach us and allow that to help us navigate life in this world. Let's think about what some of the prophecies about Jesus' return tell us. They tell us that Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. How should that help us to live in this world? That reminds us to be faithful to the Lord at all times. Because you don't want to be found unfaithful when he returns. You may remember Jesus tells a parable of a master who's gone on a journey and he's left those who were his servants with a task to do. And some were found faithful and some were found unfaithful. When the master came back, he came at a time when they weren't expecting. And what happened to those who were unfaithful? The Bible says they were cast into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If Jesus is coming at a time when you won't expect, then we need to be faithful at all times. What else does the Bible tell us about Jesus' return? Well, it tells us that he's coming to judge the living and the dead and that all wickedness will be destroyed. What does that have to say to us about how we should navigate this life. Be holy. Because all that is unholy and ungodly will fall under the judgment of God. We ought to live holy and upright lives in preparation for his return. That's why so often you see the Apostle Paul and the other apostles, when they write about the day Jesus is coming, they talk about wanting the people of God to be blameless and spotless when he returns. We want us to be living holy and upright lives. Why? Because he's coming to judge all that is unholy and ungodly. What else do we know about the return of Jesus from Scripture? We know that it's going to be the end of this creation and the beginning of a new creation. We talked about this last night, if you were here. This old world and all that we know of this world is gone. There will be a new heaven and earth. So what does that mean for you and I? Well, a couple of things it means. It means since this world is not going to last and heaven is going to last, then you ought to lay up your treasure where? Yep. You ought to lay up your treasure in the new creation, not in this creation. Let me tell you what that means practically. 
It means you ought to leverage this life to maximize your glory and joy and pleasure in the next life. In other words, you don't want to use the time you have on this earth seeking to, to, to get all you can get and enjoy all you can enjoy and pursue all the earth's pleasure. Don't spend your life doing that. No, 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 no. Because this life's only temporary. The next one's forever. So you spend this life using this life, using the time you have here to make the most of the next life, which is going to last forever. Use your time here to maximize your joy in that life. Does that make sense? Live this life doing the things that are going to enable you to enjoy the greatest pleasure and fulfillment and satisfaction when Jesus comes. Lay up your treasure in heaven. Here's something else you ought to do since there's going to be a new creation. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. Set your mind on things. Where? Above. Because that's where Jesus is. That's who we're going to spend eternity with. That's what matters. Not this life, but that life. This life matters because it's preparation for that life. Listen. We need to allow what the Scripture teaches us about the coming of Jesus to dictate to us how we live this life. Now, I want to give you one word to describe all of that. We've been talking about it. It's the word godliness. Godliness. What does it look like to lay up your treasure in heaven? What does it look like to be holy? What, is it, what does it look like to set your mind on things above? What does it look like to be faithful to your master? You can summarize all of that under the heading godliness. To live a godly life means you're living a holy life. To live a godly life means being, you're being faithful so you'll be ready no matter when He comes. To live a godly life means you're laying up your treasure in heaven and you're focused on things above. You understand? That's why Peter keeps saying, be godly because it's godliness that makes you ready for the return of Jesus. So when he says, pay attention to all the Scripture says, about the return of Jesus. This is a call to live a godly life, if you understand I'm telling you to do this. Here's where we are so far. We've seen that what Scripture says about Jesus' return is certain, and that we should live in light of what it says. Now that's the main idea of this message. Live in light of what Scripture says about Jesus' return because His return is certain. Peter's not through yet. Peter wants to erase any doubt about the certainty of Jesus' return and the need to live in light of it. So Peter goes on to tell us this. What Scripture says about Jesus' return comes from God. What Scripture says about Jesus' return comes from God. It's critical for you and I to understand that the prophecies given to us in Scripture do not come from man. Look at verse 20. Know this first of all. In other words, this is of critical importance. This is of first importance. No prophecy of Scripture comes by one's own interpretation. Prophecy of Scripture now 
doesn't refer only to the prophecies about the second coming of Jesus. He's talking about all prophecies of Scripture, which would include all the ones about Jesus' return. What Peter's doing here, he's making a case why we should trust the prophecies of Scripture. Not only the ones about Jesus' return, but all of them, including the ones about Jesus' return. Why? Because no prophecy of Scripture comes by one's own interpretation. In other words, here's the idea. The prophets, when they spoke these words, when they wrote these words, they were not explaining their own thoughts and ideas. The New International Version gives a good translation of this. This is what it says. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. In other words, the prophet wasn't giving us his own ideas and his own thought about the situation. This wasn't his own interpretation of the situation that they were in. What he's saying is, God is the source of all the prophecies of Scripture. Verse 21. No prophecy of Scripture come by one's own interpretation. In other words, he's not the source of it. No prophecy was ever made by the will of man. What does that mean? That means the prophecies in Scripture are not here because a man decided something ought to be said. No prophecies in the Bible because a, a prophet decided, you know, somebody really ought to speak to this issue. No. These prophecies didn't originate with the prophet. Look what it says. No prophecy was ever made by the will of man, but men being moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The word moved literally means carried along. It's a word that describes a sailboat being pushed across the water by the wind in the sail. In other words, when these prophets spoke, when they wrote, they were under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You remember what the Scripture says? All Scripture is God-breathed. Comes directly from the mouth of God. And so what's the result? The words the prophets spoke, the words the prophets wrote, are whose words? God's word. You ever run across these phrases in the Old Testament by the prophets? The word of the Lord came to me saying... How about this one? Thus saith the Lord. What are they telling us? They're telling us, what I'm fixing to tell you is not my word. This, this is God revealed this to me. God gave me these words. What Peter wants us to see is the prophecies in Scripture come directly from God. They didn't originate in the heart or mind of men. This is God who communicated himself through these men. And that includes all the prophecies about Jesus coming. Why should you believe what the Scripture says about 
Jesus coming again. Because it comes from God. It's God said that. It's God that said He's coming again in glory and power to judge the living and the dead. Why should you heed? Why should you pay attention to? Why should you live your life in light of what those prophecies say? Because they come from God. Are you with me? They're the commands of God. Think about this. Suppose you have two children. You send one of your children to tell your other child something you want him to do. Go tell Johnny to come here. I need to talk to him. Now, is it okay if Johnny refuses to come simply because you sent the message by somebody else and you didn't deliver it yourself? No. Why not? Because even though you didn't deliver the message yourself, it came from who? It came from you. It carried whose authority? Yours. Is it okay if you disregard the prophecies of Scripture just because they were spoken by a man or penned by a man? No, because whose words are they? Is anybody out there? They're God's words. They were given through a man, but they are nonetheless God's words. And what's that mean? That means if you fail to heed what the Scripture says about Jesus' return, you are disregarding what God has said. Let me give you a Scripture for an example. Deuteronomy 28, 15. Listen to this. But it will be, if you do not listen to the voice of Yahweh your God, to keep and to do all His commandments and His statutes with which I am commanding you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. I want you to notice a couple things about this verse. First of all, the commands were given by Moses. Moses said, the commands and statutes I am commanding you today. The commands were given by Moses. But notice this, it was God's voice and God's commands. If you do not listen to the voice of Yahweh your God to keep and do His commandments and His statutes. Moses was giving the commands, but he said, what you're hearing is God's command. It's God's voice. So to disobey is to disobey who? God. Let me put it to you like this. If you live ungodly, if you live like Jesus is never going to return, you are disregarding the very words of God as if they were not true or were not important. Listen, if you're not convinced that Jesus is coming again, you're likely to live an ungodly life. I don't just mean in the back of your head you acknowledge it, but I mean you're convinced. You're going to be ungodly if you don't think you're going to have to answer for it. And if you're ungodly, you're not going to be prepared when He comes. That's why we need this message so much. Live in light of what Scripture says about Jesus' return. Because His return is certain. When I was a kid, we had a little poodle named Sherry. And I remember one time, I was in the first or second grade. We, we lived in South Louisiana back then. Um, 
we were gone from home. I can't remember why, but we were gone from home all day, a lot longer than normal, and she was left there alone. Now, normally, she was a sweet little dog, and normally when we got home, she'd do what? Meet us at the door. She's excited. She'd jump on us and lick us and love on us. Well, when we got to the house, Sherry didn't meet us at the door. Well, we got to looking around and noticed she had left us several deposits in various places. We couldn't find her anywhere. Finally found her upstairs hiding under a bed. Why? She knew she'd done wrong. She'd been taught house training. She'd been taught you don't do that in the house. She knew she's going to be in trouble and she was hiding. That's why she hid. That's why she wasn't excited to see us when she got home. Listen, if you live an ungodly life, you got no reason to be excited when Jesus returns. None. You may even want to hide. But there's going to be nowhere to hide. Listen, wouldn't you much rather be standing at the door waiting for your master's return in anticipation and excitement? Wouldn't you much rather that? Strive to live a godly life, not because godliness will save you. Godliness is not the cause of your salvation, but it is the evidence of it. And Hebrews does say, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Godliness is what gives you the confidence and assurance that you belong to Jesus. Godliness is what marks you as a child of the King. So pursue godliness because it's then you'll be able to wait at the door for the Master with anticipation and excitement. Jesus is coming. You can count on it. Will you be standing at the door filled with anticipation and excitement? Or are you going to try to run and hide in shame because of your ungodliness? Let's pray.